I knew that we were a part, even though it wasn't our intention, we were a part of some groundbreaking morning television. And after I left the show, um, I, I felt like our accomplishment was mm -hmm. being forgotten. Okay. And short of getting a, a bullhorn and standing on a street corner like a crazy guy yelling, hey, don't forget about us, I thought... The same thing was to write down the story of exactly what happened. Welcome to the Audacious Living Podcast, hosted by my man, Audley Stevenson, the odd man. He'll unpack wisdom and insights from a cross-section of top quality performers in business, media, sports, entertainment, and lifestyle to uncover key elements to help you live your best audacious life ever. So without further ado, here is The Odd Man. Greetings and salutations, folks. It's Oddly Stevenson back for another edition of the most audacious podcast the internet has to offer. This is the Audacious Living Podcast, and as always, I appreciate you for being here as we continue our ongoing goal of helping our listeners live their best audacious lives ever as always i encourage you to connect with us on social media you can find us on twitter instagram or facebook under the handle the audacious pod or if you're watching this particular episode on youtube then you know that if you tap that bell down below you can subscribe to our channel and that way you're connected to all great things audacious related now, I'm super excited to bring you this edition of the Audacious Living Podcast because uh, the, the, today's guest simply can be described as a legend in the radio industry. Longtime radio personality Mark Thompson was one half of the groundbreaking duo that made up the Mark and Brian show, which dominated the radio airwaves during its 25-year run. Uh, the Mark and Brian show essentially set the standard in the radio industry in terms of entertainment, style, engagement, and high-quality value. And, and quite frankly, all other radio programs that came after them had no choice but to, to follow their blueprint because no one did it any better than them. Uh, Mark chronicled the story of the Mark and Brian show in his new book, Don't Bump the Record Kid, The Adventures with Mark and Brian. And I can't say enough uh, how much of a pleasure it was to chat with uh, a legendary groundbreaker like Mark. And uh, it's also was worth mentioning that uh, he was inducted into the Radio Hall of Fame back in to 2020. So um, really, really excited about this to share this one with you. We had a great chat and I'm certain that you'll all take something uh, away from this because uh, it really is enjoyable conversation hearing about their journey, their origins, uh, his personal story. Uh, again, just really, really fabulous stuff. So without any further ado, here's my conversation with Mark Thompson. Enjoy. Mark, it is an absolute pleasure to have you joining me here on the Audacious Living Podcast. First and foremost, it's not every day you get a legendary radio, legendary radio personality <laughs> joining on the podcast. It's my honor and privilege to have you with us. How are you? 
I'm really good, Ortley. Thank you for having me. I look forward to our chat. Very much so. But I, I do as well. Um, we, we can go in all sorts of places with this. I mean, you, 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 you know, you, you know, start your career through. There must be so many career highlights. Um, I want, I want to actually acknowledge. You know your, your book, "Don't Bump the Record Kid," which you can see in your backdrop behind you, uh, chronicling your life and your journey. Um, was the book something you saw coming? Like, what, like, no, 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 no. What, what, what got you to the point when you realized that it's, you know, I've got to put what I've done, my experiences, I've got to put them down, make in a book, and share with others. Um, I, I felt like when we were doing it. Mm-hmm. 27 years of the Mark and Brian program, it felt so huge to me because it was. Yeah. Um, we were more than just a successful morning show. We yeah. transcended that into television and some other things. And I knew that we were a part, even though it wasn't our intention, we were a part of some groundbreaking morning television. And after I left the show, um, I, I felt like our accomplishment was mm-hmm. being forgotten. Okay. And short of getting a, a bullhorn and standing on a street corner like a crazy guy yelling, hey, don't forget about us, I thought the same thing was to write down the story of exactly what happened with that from the very first day when I got a phone call that pro- uh, proposed the idea of taking a partner and take it all the way through uh, till the very end where I would tell, and I really wrote it for fans of the Mark and Brian program so Uh that they could hear and experience what was happening behind the scenes while they were listening. And I always knew that I wanted to do it. Mm -hmm. It was just a matter of when, and then COVID came and we were all locked down and I had time. So I did it. That's awesome. Awesome. Um, t- t- take us back, uh, you know, l- little Mark, I don't know, seven, eight years old. He's dreaming of a career, what he wants to do in his life. Was it radio? What was it for you? <laughs> it was, well, even when I was a kid, um, I've always been very aware of what I wanted to do. Um, like I want to climb that tree and see just how far I can see if I got to the very top. Now, the problem with that is that I would negate the fact that I was supposed to be cleaning my room. So I got in trouble, but I didn't care because it was worth whatever punishment I got for that adventure. And I wasn't, I wasn't supposed to go two neighborhoods beyond mine, Okay, <clears throat> but my bicycle was made for pedaling. And again, mm. I would get in trouble for going four, five, six neighborhoods over, but I, I, I didn't care. And when when I was uh, young, um, at night, my my father did not allow any lights on okay. in the house. Okay. He was afraid we would burn an extra watt. <laughs> and so I don't have to tell you, you're a young kid with an imagination and the house was pitch black. And so mm-hmm. I was terrified. I didn't sleep. I, I would, I could see things moving in the dark. And I found that if I turned on the radio, the light from the dial would illuminate my room enough so that I could see the monster that was going to consume me. Of course. But it was there that I fell in love with radio. Cause every night I would listen 
Uh, and it's amazing what you can hear when your house is completely silent. I, the, the tonality of the jock, the the needle that would go on the vinyl of the record and rake through it. I could even hear the air conditioning unit turn on inside the radio station. Nice. And that's where I fell in love with it. And little did I know that six years from that day, I would become that jock on that very station that I wow. was listening to. And I learned a lesson once I was talking to my wife and it was about, I had left Mark and Brian and I'd been offered a job about returning to morning radio in okay. Los Angeles. And mm -hmm. I was discussing with her whether or not I was going to do it. And she said, are you sure? And I okay. said, absolutely. There's, there's something I want to prove. And so I'm, I'm doing it. And she said, you don't know how lucky you are. I said, what do you mean? And she said, you're lucky that you know what it is that you want. Man. And that landed oddly for me because until that moment, I always believed that everybody knew exactly <laughs> what they wanted, but they don't. It's true. And, and it's odd for me because I've always known that I'm mm. going to climb that tree, yes. that I'm going to ride my bike over there, yep. that I'm going to be on the radio. It was always very clear to me. So having that clear direction and focus, right? And, and it's funny, you and, and, and we do this often, Mark, where we sort of just take things for granted. We don't really think about, well, this is what it is. I, I know what I want to do, don't you, right? But it is it is very much, you know, it's, 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 as I said, it's, it's a gift. Um, but the point is, it's, it's not commonly spread across the room for everybody. I guess. Right. And essentially what it is. And for those that do know, they're shocked. They're like, why wouldn't you know? Like, it's just right. second nature, right? So um, to be able to have that. But when you, but when I think when you do recognize and appreciate it, you, you, you gain a greater appreciation once you recognize what you have, because you realize others don't, right? Well, it, it also goes back to me, and I never really thought about this, but even when I was a kid, mm -hmm. I, was, I was never in a group. Okay. I was never a leader. I was never a follower. Okay. And the reason I wasn't a try, of course, I saw him at school. There would be 10 guys all hanging out and they would all go do the same thing. The problem was, is that I didn't want to do whatever they wanted to do. Um, I was always very clear about where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. And I didn't want to waste time trying to talk somebody else into going with me. So I just went right. alone. Right. So, yeah, I was never a group guy. I was always going after exactly what I wanted in that moment. Got you. Got you. I, I want to go back, you know, 27 years. It's a long time. I mean, mm -hmm. to do any one particular thing. You probably saw a lot of changes in the radio industry over that period of time. But at the same time, you probably were at the beginning of a lot of brand new stuff because it more, more, I mean, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but it probably wasn't done before. It's very interesting to have those two perspectives. One at the beginning where you're groundbreaking, you're blazing the trails, you're doing things, things were never done before, but then also you're still part of the industry, watching evolve, grow and develop and become something else. I wonder if, what, if you can sort of give me those two perspectives, what that was like for you. Well, as I mentioned, when I would lay in bed at night and listen to the jock, um, one of the things that was comforting is because that was a live person. He was sitting right there and I was listening to what he was doing in that moment. And I knew that if I needed to, and I never did, but I knew that if I needed to, I could pick up the phone 
and I could call him and he would answer. Mm. And that is what I loved about radio was the personal connect. I always enjoyed hearing a jock screw up because it let me know <laughs> there was a human being in the mix of this. And that was what I got into it for was to communicate and speak with people and share music and clips and jokes and whatever it is I was doing. And then the transition that you're talking about started in 1996 yep. when corporate became involved in uh, acquisitioning local radio. And now today, um, your local radio station, in many cases, is no longer a live jock. Most of it is pre-recorded um, and then fed into a computer. And, you know, the days of 24 hours a day, a live person playing records and entertaining you is no longer the case for right. most. There are still some live shows, but um, I was there when that transition was made. And, and because my career had blossomed into uh, an elite form of radio, <clears throat> I was working for ABC, Disney, um, Intercom. These were massive companies yes. that owned 500 radio stations. Right. And as opposed to, well, I'll give you an example. Early in my career, I worked for literally a mom and pop. Uh, radio station. Dad was a former veterinarian who had retired and bought a radio station. His wife was the true genius of the business. She was the one that paid all the bills. And on Friday, she would cook lunch for everybody at the radio station. We would all go down and eat and drink and be together. And I missed that because that the corporate world doesn't do that. And so the basically the long story short, the radio that I fell in love with no longer exists. Oh, okay. And and while that's sad, mm -hmm. I do get it. Corporate has become um, you know, a profit situation, and corporate has found a much cheaper way of bringing your local right. radio station to right. you. Right. And uh, they're benefiting, but sadly, radio has suffered, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Must have been tough to watch that. It was tougher to be in it. Mm, um, good point. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I was getting out right at the time it was really starting to become a problem. Right, like I had already decided that I was leaving. I hadn't told anybody, but I had decided, and it was at that time that uh, Cumulus bought KLOS, the station I was with. Yep. Mm -hmm. And this is one of those companies that I was talking about. The yep. moment the acquisition, uh, acquisition was made, they began immediately firing people. Mm -hmm. In one case, they were dissolving entire divisions. So it was a, not only a bloodbath at KLOS, it yep. was a bloodbath Anywhere. nationwide because Anywhere. Cumulus picked up 250 stations. And I, I really, even though I didn't, uh, because I left, I just didn't want to be a part of that. I Understood. knew what that was and I didn't want Understood. that to be the last thing I did. Well, and, and especially when you go back to the very beginning, what brought you to a draw, you know, drew you to radio, that connection, that personal touch, you know, hearing that, you know, the DJs was, and you, and you don't have that. It, it's become something else. Um, well, yeah. the, the other problematic thing for me is that, you know, early on, I talked about the mom and pop. If there was something that I wanted to do, I would go to pop or mom. 
I would present my idea and they would write a little hundred dollar check and say, okay, go do it. In that corporate world that I just described, there is no power at the local level, at Mm. the local radio station. They, you can present your idea to them, but they have to go to the central office in in New York or whatever and get permission. And by the time you get permission down the line, it's too late for the idea to begin with. So I just didn't. I'm just not a corporate guy, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Well, the, the, the machine, when, when, when you think about the work that you, that you were doing on radio live, it's creativity, it's imagination, it's on the spot, in the moment. You're not thinking about getting approvals or going up the, the, up the chain to be able to, whether or not I can use this idea or not. The idea came to me in that moment. I think it's great. I want to go with it. Mm-hmm. So when you lose that opportunity for that creativity, it does take a little uh, take, take a bit of the luster out of it, if you will. Well, you know what you say, you hit it right on the head, the in the moment part, the beauty of live radio broadcast. And for that matter, live television broadcast is in the moment uh, with what I did uh, on the radio, we would. Um, do the antics and the goofiness that we were known for, but we also followed exactly what was happening. And if Trump said something really stupid the night before, we were on it the next day. Right. And with pre-recorded radio, you can't, you can't do that stuff. That's right. And a lot of times we would be on the air and something would happen in the middle of the show and we would stop everything and go to that. And if it's pre-recorded, you're just not going to get that. Right, right. And and that's it. You, you, and you lose. The, 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 and there's, there's a certain level of magic to it, right? And especially when you've got your partner and you're playing off one another. I think of a, I think of a, 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 I mean, like an improv sketch, for example, where the beauty and the meaning is made in those moments. Certainly, you've got an idea and maybe you've scripted out an outline of where you're going to go. But the exact path to get there is still the unknown. And that's where the beauty comes in. That's why I've always loved live. <laughs> mm. um, we, we made a transition on the Mark and Brian program. When we first got together, we would pre-record the mm-hmm. comedy bits. Okay. And um, the thing with pre-recorded, you would do them usually a couple of hours after you got off the air. And no matter how hard you tried, you could not match that natural energy that comes to you when you're live on the air. Yeah. And so we started doing the comedy bits live and the beauty of live is that when you're doing, for example, a comedy bit that's got a lot of moving parts, it's got music and sound effects and a script and all this stuff. If you do it well and and everything goes nicely, then it's it's good, it's funny. But when the wheel falls off and the whole thing falls apart, it's hysterical. And you you can't pre-record that. You, we, we would do it live. And it was in my mind, a massive game changer for us. And Absolutely. so sadly these days, everything is recorded. So you just don't get that. That's, that's right. And, and, and as a listener, like to take in something in that moment, that live natural, uh, you know, re- reaction or, or moment, you know, that's entertaining. Like it's, it really is. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like I said, I always loved it when the jock screwed up because it let me know he's yeah. a human being and I'm a human being. And it always made me smile. For sure. So when you talk about the success of your program, Mark and Brian program, 
I mean, oftentimes people think it's one or two or three things. Is, is it a com combination of things or one thing you can attribute to say, hey, you know, we were really successful because of this one thing or was it a bunch of stuff, did you say? Well, I think most of that can be addressed by a moment that I had. And I talk about this in the book because it was the, it was the light bulb moment. It was an explosion for me. I got into radio because I wanted to be a, a really good jock and I worked at it and learned how to formatically be perfect. Being a good jock <clears throat> teaches you to read the card and play the A record. You come out of that record, you read the card and play the B record. Sure. And after a few years, I became a very good jock and I was so bored <laughs> because it wasn't fun. It, I was good at it, but it, the, the fun of it had, had left me because there was not a challenge. Right. There wasn't an adventure. It was boring. And my show was boring because I was bored. And I went, I took a job in Knoxville, Tennessee at okay. WRJZ. And um, it was my first time to see real personality jocks who prepared for their show. I've never seen anybody do that. And I was doing an air shift because I had to. My main job was as a music director. I had kind of given up on the jockeying part because, as I said, I was bored with it. Yep. And so one day there was the, a program director at that station. His name was Bob Kagan. And Kagan was a master of personality radio. He had mentored all his jocks to be great. And the thing about Kagan that was interesting is that he was the most boring human being I've ever been around. That's the best. <laughs> he, his nightmare was a party where he had to do small talk. He had nothing to say. And on the air, he couldn't do it himself, but he could mentor his jocks into massive personalities. A lot of his jocks went on to great things. Yep. And so one Saturday afternoon, I was doing my shift. And as I said, I was just kind of bored with it. And, um, it, this was 1979. The big film, the big successful movie was Superman, the first with Christopher uh, Reeve. Christopher Reeve, yeah. And um, I came out of the record and I said, uh, 62 WRGZ. So I know that most of you have either just come from Superman or you're going to it. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to perform the entire Superman soundtrack for you on this squeaky chair. Here we go. And I squeaked around on the chair for like eight seconds and I hit the commercial. All of a sudden, the door to the control room opens and it's Bob Kagan. Okay. And he's staring at me. And I'm thinking, oh, God, what have I done? Uh, and Kagan said in that low tone that he speaks, which is kind of like this, he said, from now on, whenever you turn on the mic, every single time, you open the mic. I want something as creative and as entertaining as that was. <laughs> and, he, and he left. Now, I think at that time uh, I was 22 and I think I was looking for something. As I said, I was bored with the air work yes. and what he told me, I processed and what he was basically telling me was to be myself. Because that little thing that I did was not normally something I would do on the air. I, I would do it at my apartment to make my friends giggle. But he was telling me that he liked it. He was telling me to be myself. And it changed my entire career that moment. It changed my life because I made a firm decision 
And I think that there's a lesson to be learned. I made the decision that to be myself, that meant that I was going to forget the formatics of being a disc jockey. My rule was, if I think it's funny, then it's on the air. If I think it's entertaining, then I do it on the air. And the magic of that is that I started doing a radio show that entertained me. Mm. And if someone's listening to it and they don't like it, I don't care because they go away. And the people that are listening that do like it, they're going to come back tomorrow and the next day to hear some of the same stuff. That becomes your fan base. And there is great beauty in deciding that you're going to do what it is that you want to do. And the key to it is that you have to not care what people think. There's a wonderful saying. Amazing. And it's attributed to anonymous. And I want to share it here because it is truly the lifeline of my being, of my essence. And that saying is this. I want to sing like the bird sings, not caring who's listening or what they think. Mm. And that's my life. I do what I do. And if you dig it, come with me. If you don't, I'll see you later. There's so much power in that, Mark, to be able to step into who you are, be comfortable with that, and not deviate for anyone, regardless of how it may look or be perceived. Not that you're, and not, and not that you're against uh, changing or adjusting or anything like that. We're not suggesting no. that at all. No. But to be who you are, be confident with that, and go forward on that basis. It's amazing. Well, the the analogy in life to me, because as I said, it not only changed my career. Clearly, it changed me as a person because. How many times do we go to a cocktail party and we become the kind of person we think we should be in that setting? Um, That's because you care what people think of you. And by no means am I not saying go into the cocktail party and be rude, but I'm saying that there is such a beauty in being exactly who it is that you are, whether you're at work, whether you're at play, whether you're at a party, whatever the case may be, there is a beautiful power. In being you, because you have to remember, you are the only person who can be you as well as you can. So be that. I love it. I absolutely love it. Um, you started off in Alabama, right? As a DJ. Born and raised. You, you, you made the transition to big old big city Los Angeles living life. What was that transition like? Well, when I first got into radio, there was this box of tapes in okay. the production room. And, 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 you know, when I first, I was 16, when I got into radio and I spent every waking moment at the station, even though I wasn't working, I wasn't being paid, but I could be there. So I was, and there was this box of tapes and I listened to them and they were air checks of major market stations, WLS Chicago, okay. 10Q and KHJ in Los Angeles, WABC in New York. And they sounded, I had never heard radio sound that good. The jocks were just amazing. And that was it. I, I said at the beginning, I knew what I wanted. And I knew that I want that. I want to become that. And my plan was simple. As soon as I graduated high school, 
I knew that I had to leave yes. Muscle Shoals because this, this, this quest of mine making it to major market, it's not going to come to me. I have to go to it. So my plan was simple. Every time I took a new job, it had to be two things, a larger market yep. and more money. Uh-huh. And the plan was that if I do that, if I follow that rule, larger market, more money, eventually... I'm just going to fall into major market and I will have achieved my goal. And can I tell you, it worked. I love it. I love it. You know that? There's, there's our focus you had as a kid, right? I'm going to go and get, I'm going to climb that tree. I'm going to go to that major market. Oddly, I can tell you, um, as I said, I knew what I wanted. That was a life goal. It. it was the single most important goal I ever had. And it didn't come easily. I worked my... Other than Bob Kagan and that moment I told you, I never had a program director that taught me anything. I would work on my show endlessly every day and I would take a boom box for you younger people. That was this giant cassette recorder. And I would take it in the control room and right before I would speak on the air, I would push record and I would record my entire show. I would cut out the music and the commercials, just me talking. And every day, that I would drive home from work, I would listen to what I had just done. And it was uniquely interesting in that as I would listen, when I did something good, Mm -hmm. I already knew it. I knew it when I did it, but it was the stuff that wasn't good that I learned, like I'd be listening to a phone call that I took. And when I did it, I thought it was pretty good. When I listened back, it was way too long. And I would hear a couple of jokes that happened where I could have gotten out and I didn't. So I learned, get out, get your first laugh and get out. The key to it was that I was learning on my own by listening to myself, teaching me what to do and what not to do. And I built myself into a masterful radio entertainer by, by looking at what I had done and cutting out the bad and keeping the good. I love it. I love it. To be be able to to, to discern, right? What do you want to keep and what? And then and then even the bad is like, okay, what can I take from that for next time, too? So it's all part of that that growth process. Yeah. And, you know, and and it worked. And I love it. By the the time I got to Los Angeles, I personally uh, and and Mark and Brian as a as a group, as a duo, we were at peak form. And my goal, keep in mind, my goal was only to make it to major market. <laughs> my goal didn't go further. <laughs> right. But I have to tell you, when I did make it and I finally had that opportunity, because now I'm now I'm here, I gave 100 percent because oddly, I was all in to get we were living in Birmingham at the time to get to L.A. It took. My wife and I had been able to salt away 20 grand in our bank account. And when you move to a new state, you have to put down deposits for electricity, gas, power, water, whatever it is. It depleted our bank account, but it didn't matter because this was my goal. This was my dream. And I was all in 100%. I gave it everything I had because oddly, I've always had um, a fear. Mm. And the fear would be that I'm 80 and I'm sitting in my rocking chair on my porch and I'm looking back over my life with regret. And I'm thinking, ah, 
if I had, if I just tried harder, if I would, if I just see, I don't have that fear because I did give it everything I had and I succeeded. And do you know that even if I had failed, mm -hmm. if I could sit in that rocking chair and say, you know what, you gave it everything. Yeah. You a hundred percent were in. There's nothing else you could have done. I would have been okay with that because I gave it my all. At least you tried. At yes. least you tried. And there's, there's magic great, in that. And the value and the significance of trying is 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 sometimes it's as great as a reward to yes. know that you tried. So yes. I'm, I'm I'm very happy to hear that. That was the approach that you took. Um, you, Mark, you probably had a ton of laughs over the years. Um. Any any sort of memorable or funny moments that you can share uh, on there moments that you had that stand out? I'm no, I know there, uh, it's, it's, it's so much to choose. So I can imagine, but um, any any come to mind? Well, this was this story is the essence of who Mark and Brian was. Okay, and it's what it's the essence of this that's what made us who we were because we were doing a kind of morning radio that nobody had ever heard because we were doing, as I said, we were doing things that entertained us. Um, this is fairly early on okay. uh, sales guy. And I traditionally hate sales guys because they're all about what's best for them, not us. Anyway, one of them, John Spence was his name. I actually liked him. He came to us and he said, Mark and Brian, I've got, a hundred Christmas trees for you to give away on the air. You know, you say fifth caller gets a free Christmas tree from Joe's tree lot. He said, you just got to mention Joe's tree lot when you give one away. And I, I was like, good Lord, how boring, how standard, <laughs> how pedestrian. So we went to John and we said, call Joe and have all 100 Christmas trees delivered here to the radio station on Friday morning, stack them in the parking lot. Okay. We then went on the air that Friday morning. We said, we need five listeners to come help us come down here. And we had several hundred show up. Sure, Of course. And so we said, see that ladder, get all 100 Christmas trees up to the roof of the building. They did. So we, Mark and Brian live on the air went onto the roof of the radio station. And we were facing La Cienega, which was eight lanes of major traffic. And while we were talking about Joe's Christmas tree lot, we threw all 100 Christmas trees out onto La Cienega Boulevard in morning drive time traffic. This caused a traffic lock like you can't imagine. And the police came. Yeah. And Luckily for us, the police that came were listeners. So they interrogated us while we were on the air as to what we were doing. And the entire time they were interrogating us, yep. Brian and I were playing with their guns. So this was one of the things that made us unique, that made yeah. us different. Nobody else that we were competing with was going to be doing that. Right. And that is the essence of us doing what it was that we thought was funny. And it was, and it made the evening news on all stations. That's amazing. And I love that because it, it, it's still spontaneous. It's just, it's, 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 it's something like a, a term I find being a disruptor, just being a disruptor in that spontaneous fashion. Uh, and that's where, where the magic is created. 
<laughs> we once took a professional golfer and I'm, I'm sorry, I don't remember his name, but he was big at the time. Uh, we took him up to the roof of the building with his golf clubs and a big bag of golf balls. And we would pick out a building that was maybe a block over. And we would say, I'll bet you can't land it on the roof of that building. Every single shot landed right there. Love and it. we did it live on the air. And it's just, it's what we were. We did things differently and not by design. It's just what we wanted to see. Gotcha. Gotcha. I love it. I love it. I'm sure your book has got tons and tons of great stories. Can we talk about the title? Don't bump the record kid. Uh, can you talk about how you landed on that title for the book? Sure. Um, as I said, when I was a kid, I couldn't sleep and I would lay uh, in bed and listen to W-O-W-L. That was the station I wound up working for. But I was like 10 and I was addicted to this radio station. My favorite jock was the afternoon guy. His name was Christopher J. Ballou. Okay. And I would go up to the radio station. It was about a 20 minute bike ride. And I would sit in the lobby uh, hoping to meet Christopher okay. until they would kick me out. And they, that became a regular occurrence. The moment I'd walk in, they go, no, get out. <laughs> and they began promoting that Christopher was going to broadcast live from the shopping center that was not far from my house. Okay. And this is back in the day when, when the jock would, would uh, uh, broadcast live, they would bring this massive console with the two turntables and the microphone and all that. And they would literally broadcast from that location. So I rode my bike up. And there he was sitting right there. And there was a pretty good little crowd. Okay. And this is my idol. This is the guy. This was a personality jock. He was incredible. And there he was. There he sits. And he's playing the records and he's on the air. And there he is. And without realizing it, I started walking toward him. And he turned and he saw me coming and he smiled. And just as I got right up next to the the concert. He goes, Hey, don't bump the record kid. My idol spoke those words to me. And that became the title of the book. I love it. I love it. Sometimes the simplest things in the moment is, is what can have the biggest impact. And clearly that did on you, man, to have your idol acknowledge you in that way and, and, and leave you a gift. Right. <laughs> um, you know, I know that oddly, I know you're about, um, making a better life, finding a better way to live your life. And I do yeah. want to share something that, yeah. um, that I learned everything that I wrote in the book that comes off as some sort of life lesson. None of it is assumed. These are yeah. things that I learned over the years. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to share this because I think it fits right into what you're doing. And it's the way that I live my life. Okay. Um, <clears throat> one of the things I can't stand with people um, if they're friends of mine and if, if they're guilty of this, then they're not a friend long. Cause I just can't tolerate, um, I can't tolerate victims. Gotcha. These are people who, when something bad happens, they look at it and they go, Oh, poor me. Look what they did to me. Look what the, this happened. They, they did this to me. Uh, right, right. I found long ago that Mistakes are beautiful in that we all make them, and it's what makes us human. And I firmly believe that mistakes are the most wonderful gift that you can be given, 
as long as you're not a victim. Because in most cases, when you make a mistake, yeah. there is a lesson in there. But yes. only if you look at it. Yes. Yes. You have to you have to look at it and you have to go. What did I do? To cause this, yes. what did I do to allow this? And if you are honest with yourself, you're not a victim. This didn't this didn't wasn't done to you by so you did it. So what did you do? There it is. I see it. You learn from that and you you simply make a rule. I'm yeah. not going to do that again. Yeah. This is yeah. a gift. Life has given you a gift and it comes in the form of mistakes. I love it. And if you're a victim, you learn nothing. You <laughs> basically true. blame somebody else for your dumb ass. Yep. <laughs> See it, learn from it, and make that a part of who you are. I've done this my entire life. And it works. I can promise you it works. It's a great, great, great lesson. And, and, and why I, I love that is because each of every single one of us, we can do it immediately. We can do yes. it right now. There's no preparation. There's no special course you got to take or lesson plan you got to go through. You can take action right now. And so on this podcast, we talk about how we encourage people to live their best audacious lives. That's a pathway. That's a starting point. You just got to sustain it and keep it going. Well, the other one that I can share is, is so simple and so easy and everybody says it and everybody says to do it and, and many don't, but um, if ever I meet a young person uh, and we're chatting about whatever and they get into this conversation, I, I would say this, and this also applies to not only obviously career, but it applies to everything, but especially with career. Mm -hmm. When you're choosing something that you're going to do, choose something that you absolutely love. Like I'm always saddened when I meet somebody and they're an attorney. And then I find out that their father was an attorney. And mm -hmm. so you kind of feel like maybe they felt pressure to become a lawyer yeah. because their father wanted yeah. that. Yeah. I can promise you this. There are two things that mean success. The first one is what I said, choose something that you absolutely love. Yes. And the second thing is work your ass off. Now, if you chose correctly on the first one, if you chose something that you absolutely love, Working your ass off is easy because you love it. Yeah. I, I, I can tell you when I was on the air, there was nothing I would read. I would be sitting outside having a cigar, looking at the lake, and I would get an idea for yes. something I wanted to do on the show. I would immediately put the cigar down, get up and go build that in my studio. I would write it. I would record it. And I would look up and four hours had passed, but I've got this really funny bit that I'm going to do on the air. That moment, getting to conjure up that idea, build it, prepare it for air. I was the happiest guy in the world. And it's the bits that I did like that, that made me what I am yes. because I loved it so much. Yes. If you, I feel bad for people that, you know, you get married, you take a job that helps you pay the rent or, or, or the mortgage and, and you hate the job, but you've got to do it. They're stuck. And now you've got a mortgage, you've got kids, and you hate what you do. I, I, I feel badly for that. If if you can, just choose stuff that you love and go do it. Yeah, so, you know when I, when I when I was um when I was a kid, I loved the game. I still to this day, I love the game of basketball. And uh, it took me a while to realize that I was never good enough to be that NBA player. 
And so what I chose to do then is find ways to be around the things that I love. And one of those things was uh, what that led me to was in Canada here where I'm located, uh, well, 11 years ago, was a creation of NBL Canada, which was Canada's own professional basketball league. I found a way to stay as close to that league as possible. And as a result, fast forward several years, I now sit here as the commissioner of this basketball league, wow, which, 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 which I only came as a result. I got that jersey hanging behind me here. We celebrated 10 years of operation. I, mm. It only happened because I found a way to stay close to the things that you love, which is exactly what you're talking about, Mark. Very important. Very, very important. It's been a a very strong uh, part of my life. And, and anybody who's listening, I, I would recommend that same thing. Just choose the crap you love and go do it. You, you, you clearly have, and I'm, I'm so happy to hear um, not, only, not only the success of your career and, and your book and, and the work that you're doing now, but I think I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about being inducted into the hall of fame, the radio oh. hall of fame. I mean, oh. that, that must've been like the cherry on the top there. You know, oddly, I, um, I, I've, I've been fortunate in my career. I've won uh, a personality of the year two consecutive years from Billboard. I won an Emmy. I got a Marconi. And those are all great. And I, I admire those. And they're, you know, I love them. But the Radio Hall of Fame, any kind of Hall of Fame, yeah. is people that did that particular thing to the very best they are elite. It's a very small room of the very, very best. And being allowed and invited and inducted into the Radio Hall of Fame was the greatest. Nothing will ever come near it to be in that very small room of elite greats uh, of the business that I fell in love with as a kid. Um, and just this past weekend, I was in Chicago. We were inducted in 2020, but we had COVID. I couldn't, we, there was no ceremony. Yep. So I went this weekend and I can tell you, as I stood there uh, doing my induction speech, the very beginning, the very proudest moment for me was my entire family, my wife, my three kids, uh, their husbands and wives were yep. there. And I explained to them, I said, we couldn't come last year because my wife and I were in California for the birth of our two grandchildren, but they're here. Yes. Hoist them up. And I had told my son, get ready. And they hoisted my grandchildren way up above their heads. And it was the single greatest, proudest moment. Mm -hmm. There's my whole group, everybody I care about in this room, watching me get this great honor. And that was my proudest moment. I love it. I love it because of the culmination of all that you've done and, and, and what makes it that much more special, all that you've done was based on the things that you love to do. And, yeah. so, to be, and so to be acknowledged and recognized in that fashion, it's just a beautiful thing. And so, Mark, I, I, first of all, thank you for sharing your story. Thank you for being here. But th and, and congratulations on, on all you've done. This isn't the end, absolutely not. But the, uh, the fact that you're able to share and impart your wisdom through your experiences, there's so much value when we can do that. And I'm very, very pleased to hear that you have taken that mantle and you're sharing your stories. Well, I can tell you, oddly, that, that as I said, I follow my passion. I know what I wanted to do. And writing this book was something that I wanted to do. 
And if ever I'm doing something that my name is going to be on, if I can't give it 100%, then I don't do it. I took two years to write this book. And I am passionate about the reason that I did it because I told the people that were helping me, I said, listen, this is a very small book for a small group of people, but that doesn't give us an excuse or a reason to do it badly. We are going to write the absolute best book that we can. And I have done that. And if you buy it and you don't like it, I'm sorry, I'm not going to give your money back because you're <laughs> holding my best work. <laughs> I've done everything I could and I release it and the mm -hmm. passion, the joy, because oddly every part of this writing the book, yep. recording the audio book, doing yep. the ebook, we've got this show at the Saban. I've never, I've hosted hundreds. I've never produced one. Every level is stuff I've never done. The crap I've learned, the joy that I've gotten from this project. I'm so proud of it. And the fact that 100% of the proceeds goes to the rescue and welfare of animals in Southern California. Amazing. Amazing. I, I, I feel the pride as you talk about it. I, I, I can't help but smile. And so again, really, really, really happy for you. M Mark, for our listeners that want to learn more about you or pick up a copy of your book, where can we send them? You go to, uh, I'll tell you a quick story. When I was writing the book, um, I was thinking, okay, so I get it in shape and I'll send it to a publisher and see if I can get it uh, published. And I read something on the internet that shocked me. And I then discovered that it was true because I talked to a publisher. I read on the internet that if you're a guy like me, if you're not Tom Cruise, if you're a guy like me, you don't get that big signing bonus to just start writing the book. If you're me and you are lucky enough to get a call from a publisher who says, we want to publish your book, the average deal that I'm going to get and you are going to get, you will get 7% of the book. The publisher takes 93. Wow. I'm not giving 93% of anything to anyone. We are completely self-published. So there is one place to get the hard book sold out. The hardcover is, is gone. The sold out, nice. the thicker paper, you can't get it. So we got enough to print 5,000 hard copies and they sold immediately. But on December the 6th, we are going to be offering to you the soft cover, the ebook, and the audiobook, which I narrate, we drop clips of the Mark and Brian program and it's scored musically in places. All of that is available to you at one website. You simply go to myadventureswithmarkandbrian.com. Myadventureswithmarkandbrian.com. 100% of your money is going to go to feed puppies and kittens that are rescued from kill shelters and kept alive because I was able to talk you into buying this stupid book. <laughs> oh, man, that's so awesome. Listen, Mark, I, 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 I appreciate you sharing your adventures, sharing your journey, not, not just your book, but here on the podcast a little bit. It's, it's an absolute pleasure. Like I said, off the top, it's not every day you get to hang out with a legend like I did today. So it's a complete mm -hmm. honor. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Oddly, you're the best. Thank you for having me. Awesome. 
back we are here on the podcast and it was really an absolute pleasure uh, to have such a wonderful chat with Mark and I really uh, appreciate him for, for, for taking the time and doing this uh, again his book is called Don't Bump the Record Kid My Adventures uh, with Mark and Brian I encourage you uh, to head over to his site and pick up your very own copy I was, I, you know, the part I really appreciate about our conversation is him giving the context or background of how the book was even titled so um, again really appreciate it Mark thank you thank you thank you you know when, when I think back to my conversation with Mark I really appreciate so much of what he had to say but if there's just one thing that I would take away from our chat it would have to be this Groundbreakers are are special individuals who possess that type of mindset that allows them to push past the status quo to forge new paths. You know, these pioneers aren't concerned with what hasn't happened in the past. They instead blaze new trails and as leaders, they point the way, they take risks and change the world for the benefit of others by showing the new possibilities never yet imagined. You know, they have a a vision for a different future, a faith that turns their dreams into realities, and a determination that cuts through the barriers and then the obstacles. Groundbreakers are fearless individuals who aren't afraid to take calculated risks and knowing that failure might even be an option. They persistently push forward and see patterns as creators that others haven't and that can help them make that logical sleep from current reality to a new one. You know, instead of just doing more with less, they find new and better ways of doing something. Being a groundbreaker or the first to do something isn't an easy thing to do, but if you're not afraid to break the status quo by questioning things persistent enough to keep going in spite of making mistakes and can maintain your confidence, you're properly armed yourself to do new and audacious groundbreaking things. Hey, listen, if you haven't registered for email notifications of the podcast, please know that you can do so simply by heading over to bestaudaciouslife.com and all you've got to do is enter in your email address and you'll be alerted every time we've got brand new content that comes out. Uh, We've sadly reached the end of another episode of the Audacious Living Podcast and as always, i got to send out a shout out and thanks to our our lovers of audaciousness and all those who supported uh, this podcast from the very beginning and those have joined on later on I thank you as well uh, because it's that tremendous ongoing support that keeps this thing going and going and going so thank you, thank you, thank you and until next time, stay safe be kind, show love to one another and be audacious You've been listening to the Audacious Living Podcast hosted by Audley Stevenson. If you enjoyed what you heard, be sure to like, subscribe, and share. Until next time, be audacious.